You are my portion. Who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. And again, it's mainly just quoted. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's all I need. He's sufficient. He meets all of my needs. He is the desire of my heart. He takes first place. Isn't that a great testimony? How true is that of us? As I've been preparing and studying on what it means to be a disciple maker and how we as a church make disciples and our call to make disciples, I'm excited to share with you that there's great joy in obedience. There's great joy in walking with Christ. There's there's great confidence and great joy in being obedient to the things that he has called us to do. And so this morning we're going to take a few minutes just to kind of look at the life and the example of the Apostle Paul. We will stay in and around 1 Thessalonians as we study together. And so I'd invite you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians. Now, you will remember he had not been there very long. He is, had left Philippi where he had been in a jail, where he had been beaten. He was released and then asked to leave, told to leave. He goes then to uh, uh, Thessalonica where he preaches. It's found in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. But if you'll look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, I want to start with Timothy's encouraging report found in verse 6. I want us to read from verse 6 through verse 10 as we begin this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through verse 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, get that, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will hear from you this morning, that you will teach us and instruct us, that we will hear from your word and hear from your Holy Spirit as we look into what it means to be a disciple maker and the joy that comes from our obedience when we set our focus first and primarily upon you. And then as a disciple, as we set our focus and our attention, the direction of our life on those around us, I pray, Father, that you will convict us. I pray that you will encourage us. I pray that you will strengthen us. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to do something I don't normally do. I'm going to give you the outline as the introduction to the sermon. <laughs> How about that? It's very important that we frame, or that what I want to do is to, to frame what it means to be a discipler, a disciple maker, one who is obedient to the command of the Lord Jesus Christ to not only follow hard after Christ, but to bring others along with him. And we're looking at the kind of the description of what it means to be a disciple maker. 
You should have this on your outline. I'll let you fill in the blanks. But looking at the life of the Apostle Paul, we're going to cover this discussion, first of all, under three statements. First of all, one who makes disciples, one who finds joy in disciple making is one who has a settled contentment, a settled contentment. And then we're going to move from there and look at not only a settled commitment, but a sacred dissatisfaction or, if you will, discontentment. A settled contentment and a sacred dissatisfaction. And every believer who's following after Christ has to hold both of those in tension. And then, of course, in obedience, we find that there is comprehensive joy. Comprehensive joy, joy complete, joy beyond understanding, joy full of glory. So that's the three arenas that we are taking our discussion today. Paul had a, had a settled contentment. Well, when we talk about joy, people look for joy in a lot of different sources. They look for joy in materialism. They look for joy in fleshly pleasures. They look for joy in achievement, which is apropos to our study this morning. But Scripture tells us where joy is to be found. Excuse me. <coughs> joy unspeakable and full of glory. I may need some water up here in a minute. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. Joy is found in the Lord Jesus alone. Like Paul's testimony and like many of yours, when we come to the end of ourselves and when we cease our striving and our struggling, when we give up our insecurities and our anxieties, when we have no longer when we're ready to deal with our unsatisfied hungers and appetites and our fleeting experiences, our reliance upon ourselves and our frustration, God opens our eyes to ourselves. Thanks, Jai. You're a good man. I appreciate it. I have a... Wow, I was trying not to cough into the microphone, but drinking into the microphone is worse, isn't it? Ooh, I apologize. I will, I, will, uh, I will try to restrain myself. <laughs> so we come to Christ. The Holy Spirit wakes us up. He convicts us that we need a Savior, that we're incomplete in ourselves. And you know what life is like apart from Christ. You see it all around you. You remember what it was like in your life apart from Christ. Basically weary and heavy laden, struggles and frustration, Sometimes it's just from good experience to bad experience and good experience to bad experience and just kind of tossed around. And you become aware that there's something missing, that the creator who designed you and made you, who knows everything there is to know about you, loves you. And you have, by nature, through Adam and by willful choice, are separated from God by sin. And your sins have separated between you and your God. And God made a way through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. To pay the penalty for your sin and my sin, every sin placed on Christ on the cross. And so when we identify him, when he brings us to life and makes us new, and we become born into his family, all of a sudden, all my cares are upon him. And I belong to him, and he belongs to me, and my security is no longer found in myself or in my circumstances. It's found in him. I surrender to him with a broken and contrite heart. I've counted the cost. I renounce all that I am and all that I have, Luke 14, and he brings me to life, a new life, same body, many times the same environment, but now somehow everything's different, everything's changed. I don't just know about God, all of a sudden now I know God. 
We've had a conversation. We've had a faith. In Sunday school, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Exodus thirty-three eleven, when it describes Moses going out to the tent of meeting and the glory cloud of God descending upon the tabernacle. And the Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And you've been there, the peace that you've never known before, a confidence and a security that you've never had because now your confidence is no longer your own, no longer in yourself or your capabilities or your competencies. Now your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is sufficient. He is my portion. Amen? No, that? that should be arousing, amen. He is my portion. He is my strength. He is my shield. He is my foundation. When Moses asked God, who shall I tell Pharaoh and tell them, the Hebrews, that sent me, God said, tell them, I am. I am. There is nothing that God is not, nothing that we need that he is not, nothing that we can imagine or understand that he is not. And so we're looking at the disciple Paul, and Paul's having a pretty rough time. Paul makes disciples in two different contexts. You'll find this as you go through the book of Acts. The first place that he goes when he enters the town is to the synagogue where the Jews are. And he opens the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that they have in their hands. And he reveals to them Christ. And I can just see him pointing to Genesis chapter 3 and talking about the serpent and the seed of the woman. I can see him pointing to the bronze serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness. And Jesus saying, even to Nicodemus, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I can see him pointing to the prophecies of Isaiah, and prophecies of Jeremiah, the prophecies of Micah, Zephaniah, the, the, the understanding of Daniel that they spent a lot of time studying and saying, here he is, here he is, here he is. And then pointing to the man from Galilee and just describing the life of Christ as he, as he was born of a virgin, as he lived, and explaining to them that this Jesus is the Messiah. Here he comes with the answer. That's overwhelming, isn't it? Jews, you've been promised for centuries that God would send the Messiah, and here he is. And some of them believed. Crispus was one. Some of them believed, and they followed and they went along and they were taught and fed and discipled, but a lot of them didn't believe. As a matter of fact, do you remember what Paul's missionary journeys were like? Do you remember what his life as an evangelist and as a disciple maker was like? He preached to the crowds, but the crowds weren't always happy about it. As a matter of fact, he went from Philippi to Thessalonica, from Thessalonica to Berea, from Berea to Athens. By the way, that's not Berea, South Carolina. It's Berea and Greece, but from Macedonia, from Berea to Athens, and then from Athens to Corinth. In Philippi, he had, had he was, you remember the Philippian jailer, how, how he was beaten, and how he had to leave, he comes to Thessalonica, and uh, he, he again is uh, persecuted by the Jews, he describes it here in 1 Thessalonians to them, his th persecution and theirs, he has to leave, he goes to Berea. The Jews in Thessalonica hear he's in Berea and that he's having success. And they come down and he has to leave again. And he goes to Athens. He leaves Titus, by the way, and, and uh, uh, Silas. And he, he leaves them along the way. Different places sending them to equip. And then he goes to Athens. Has a mixed response in Athens. Goes to Corinth. And it's a difficult time. In Corinth, he's tired and alone. He's opposed and reviled by the Jews. And he washes his hands 
of them. He says, listen, you refuse this, your blood's on your own hands. I'm going to the Gentiles. Many believed, as I said, including Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, but it seemed that Paul was discouraged. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were physically tired, but we were afflicted at every turn. And here's how he described it, fighting without and fear within. So how do you go through all that and remain faithful? How do you go through all that and have joy? How do you go through the circumstances that Paul went through? I will tell you it's because he had, at first point, a settled contentment. You see, when we think of Paul, we think of him as a great missionary or a great church planter or a great maker of disciples. But we have to recognize that that was not his primary purpose in life, his primary goal in life. It was not his driving passion. Paul makes it clear in multiple places in the letters that he wrote to the churches that he has one driving passion, passion, and that is to know the Lord Jesus Christ, to know him deeply, to know him intimately, to let everything else fall away and his life be consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Here's what I desire, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. He knew that he had been saved. Remember his experience on the road to Damascus? He knew that he had been commissioned and given a mission. But Paul's joy did not come from simply a job well done. His joy was not performance-based evaluation because he was a high performer. And we need to make sure that we understand. We lift Paul up as an example, and he does himself. He says, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. But when we focus on Paul, we need to understand that the 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 that which most characterized him was not his untiring effort. It was not his eloquence. It was not his ability to write cohesively and, and write with intelligence. It was not his ability to, to uh, convince and to preach. The number one characteristic of Paul that we should be focused on is his passion to know Jesus Christ. We have no idea other than the indications that he gives us of the hours that he spent in prayer. We know the years and the weeks and the days and the hours of the day that he spent studying the scriptures that he might know God personally and know more about God. And because of his contentment, because Christ was his portion, because of his complete and absolute trust in Christ, it changed his complete outlook. He knew that his life was in God's hands. And to the church at Rome, he said, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. You remember what he said when he was being persecuted? He wrote the letter back to the, to the church at Philippi, and he said, listen, for me to live is Christ. That's why I'm here, to exalt him, to know him, to proclaim him, to be in fellowship and union with Christ. And if I die... That's promotion. It's gain.
To live is Christ. To die is gain. And so he was able to deal with the difficulty, the discomfort. I considered the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. And so he could be faithful, both when things were good and there was a response, and he had much, and he was blessed with much, and there was a good response to the message that he brought, and there was fellowship, but he could be faithful and be content when he had nothing. When he was completely dependent upon God's provision through others to meet his physical needs. Even when he was tired and when he was discouraged, God sent people to him. He was content even then. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, in 2 Timothy, his second letter, he says, I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know who I have believed and I am convinced I am persuaded that he is able to guard until that day that which I have entrusted to him that which he has entrusted to me absolute total confidence in Christ Paul had some tough times shipwrecked beaten imprisoned shouted down isolated, separated, and yet he's really unshakable. And when I think about him as an example, and I read the news, and I look at these blogs, I, there is a hazard to being a pastor. I'm just going to tell you that. People send you emails, <laughs> and they send you information and stories and books, and they ask questions about them. And You guys ever heard about this deconstructing your faith movement that's kind of going on? Okay. Don't bother with it if you haven't. But there have always been and there continue to be now former pastors and former church leaders and others who say, well, I am deconstructing my Christian faith. I used to be a Baptist member of a Baptist church and a deacon in a Baptist church or a pastor in a church, a Presbyterian church, one from North Carolina who wrote several books. And I used to be firmly entrenched in the Reformed church and I used to firmly be entrenched here. But now, as I have matured and my eyes have been opened, I am deconstructing my faith and I'm leaving. I'm walking away, either because of difficulty or because I just couldn't reconcile some thoughts in my mind. Or, and so they are no longer true to the faith. They're no longer true to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you read those books and you read those articles. And you know what I find that just amazes me in that? They're always talking about the failure of the people that they worked with. Are the mistaken ideas, they think now, of the teaching that was taught. But none of them talk about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ as their driving and consuming passion. Can I tell you this? Listen, you want to be rock solid? You want to be sure and steady? You want your anchor to hold? Your feet need to be firmly planted on confidence and trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Isn't that good? That that way, when we come under greater persecution, and it's coming, when we face the persecution that we face today or the challenges or the struggles, we're able to stand firm and not drift and not stumble because our confidence, our portion, we are settled in contentment, resting 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. But every Christian lives with both contentment and discontent. When we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 and the first six verses of chapter 3, what you're going to find there is Paul saying, I had to leave you. I had to leave you in a rush, in a hurry. I was actually, he uses the word, I was torn from you. I was taken from you. I was there and God was moving and God was working, but because of circumstances, I was torn from you. I was taken from you. And since I left you, I wanted to come back, but Satan hindered us. There was opposition to us. And so there's some discontent here. I'm not happy about the fact that I can't see your face. And I want to come see your faces. And I was concerned. And so he sends Titus, I'm sorry, he sends Timothy to go and to see how they're doing. And Timothy comes and he brings back the report. And Paul just rejoices. And his rejoicing is that they have remained faithful because they were new believers. They were new to this understanding of the gospel. They were facing the same opposition that he had faced. As a matter of fact, the very people that had opposed him in Thessalonica were the ones who Thessalonica were the ones that were now opposing the Christians there. And he was concerned about them. And then he gets this news and the verses that I read just a moment ago from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where he says, Timothy come has come. He told us the good news of your faith and reported that you always remember us kindly and you long to see us just like we long to see you. For this reason, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You see, Paul, even in this text, there's this sense of discomfiture. There's this sense of a, a dissatisfaction. And every believer who is following after Christ knows that there's more. That Paul was content to know Christ, and in knowing Christ, he was driven to make him known, but he is not satisfied with the status quo. He was not satisfied to say, all right, I made the trip. I put this much energy out. I put that much effort out. I preached, and now we're just going to turn it over to God, and I'm going to go focus my attention somewhere else. No. Paul was continually working to labor and to toil, depending upon God's power, to teach like he says in Colossians, and to be able to present every man perfect and mature, complete in Christ. And even in his own personal walk in knowing Christ, he says to the church at Philippi, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if you think otherwise... God will reveal that to you also. So here's what he's got. He's got a settled contentment. Christ is my portion. I am completely provided for in Christ. Amen? Can, you, can we say amen there? But there's also a sacred dissatisfaction. I want to know more of Christ. I want to know more of Christ. I want to know him more deeply and more fully. I want to know more about the truth that he has revealed. I want to continue to grow in grace. I want to continue to grow in knowledge. I want to know what he's revealed through his word. But I want to know him more. We have, again, no record of how much time Paul spent meditating on the scriptures other than it was a lot. We have no time doc documenting. He didn't journal. He wrote prayers in, in his letters, but... How much time Paul spent in prayer. But if you're like me, sometimes you struggle to pray, even setting aside the time. But not only setting aside the time, but then how do I pray as I ought? Can I recommend a practice to you? Look in 
Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 and look in 1 Corinthians and look in 1 Timothy and see how Paul prays and emulate the prayers of Paul. And you will see that he's an intercessor, but his intercession is always dependent upon his communion with God first and foremost. Can I tell you what I believe that our biggest problem is as Christians when it comes to not making disciples? We get satisfied. <laughs> we got a building. Yay. Check. Mission accomplished. Air conditioner works. It's cold in here as far as I'm concerned. The preaching's adequate. The music's great. I have my network of friends. I've got my class. I've got my schedule. I can go to my Bible study here. I can go to my prayer breakfast there. And it's not too long till we have a pattern established that this is what my Christianity looks like. And it's really hard to break out of that pattern. Can I tell you that growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will take you places you never thought to go. He will bring you people you never thought to meet. He will give you tasks and opportunities you never dreamed could be yours. And when your contentment is in Him, then fear is out the window. Because he's got, he's got it. He's my portion. When I'm ridiculed, when I'm ostracized, when I just stumble over my own tongue, I don't want to be an embarrassment to the gospel. Trust God. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. If he's put you there, he will place you there and give you the words to say. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that God rules and overrules. Amen. And so when you begin to look around and cast your eyes, because Paul talked to crowds, but man, here's the joy of making disciples. The complete joy is not simply resting in the presence of Christ, which we must do, and that is completeness. But it's resting in the presence of Christ and being like him, allowing him to live his life in me. And all of a sudden, it's no longer about me being a receptacle, but it's about me being a channel of blessing. It's about me being the means by which other people are exposed to the truth of Christ. It's about me being the means by which other people are instructed and fed and encouraged. I give them a model that they can follow. I give them admonition and scriptural revelation as to what God said. I give them examples. And one of our challenges, which we had a discussion at, at small group, and if you aren't part of a small group somewhere, you're missing an opportunity. You ought to be connected with a small group of believers where you can explore these truths and talk and see what God has revealed. But one of the things that, that was brought up was, what kind of an example can I be? I mean, I can show people what not to do. Have you guys ever been there? And, and the issue is that we aren't supposed to show people perfection. We don't have perfection to show them. We show people what it's like to be a disciple of Christ. What it's like to seek him and then stumble and fall and then confess and repent and ask for forgiveness and cleansing and restoration. And so we, the fear goes and we're able to continue to grow, have comprehensive joy. When Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, Timothy came and here's the good news, man, I am alive because you're standing firm and standing fast in your faith. You're my joy. You're my joy. You are 
my crown. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? And he expressed it by saying, we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what's lacking in your faith. You see, Paul's discipleship wasn't simply to teach a class or to preach a sermon. It was to identify people that God was bringing into his life and he went and sought them out. And it was to invest his life in theirs. And again, the list is long. Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Titus. In Acts chapter 20, we have a little bit of an itinerary of Paul's. He's completed his second missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He came to Greece on the way, and there he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews, he was about to set sail for Syria, but he decided to return through Macedonia. Now listen to this. So Peter, the Berean, the church at Berea, so Peter from there, the son of Pyrrhus was with him, but he wasn't the only one. Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica were with him as well. Derby, where he'd been on his first missionary journey. Gaius was from there, and Timothy, and the Asians, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. And if you look at Romans chapter 16, if you look at the end of almost every epistle, you will see personal name, personal name, personal name, personal name. I'm just going to preach to me. Y'all get to listen. Too many times we think general statements is our calling. We think addressing crowds is our calling. But our calling is first to Christ, to know Him and to find our contentment and our completion in Him. The second is to trust Him totally and completely while we are continually leaning forward with this sacred discontentment. To know Him more, to be more obedient, to to expand His life in us as we increase our faith in Him. But third is to see the people that God's called you to invest your life in grow and change. Suzanne and I have three perfect children. Well, two out of three perfect children. I just say that so they can fight about which one of them's not. No, we have three wonderful, wonderful children. And I can give you multiple. Stephen's here in the back. I can give you a lot of examples from his life. Christy is in Alaska. I can give you a lot of examples from her life. Danny's in Knoxville, Tennessee. I give you a lot of examples from her life. But there are very few things that warm a parent's heart than seeing your child or your grandchild mature and repeat back to you something that you have said to them to see that your investment in them is bearing fruit in their life. Isn't that joyous? Any of you can relate to that? I mean, sometimes it's very small steps and sometimes it's just massive steps Paul says to these folks I love you and I have been sent to you and I'm speaking to you investing my life in you so that as I follow after Christ you can follow not after me follow after Christ I will be a model and I will be a teacher but I will also be a student as we follow after Christ together 
And when you begin to see what Christ has done in you being replicated in the lives of the people that you are responsible for, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we don't do this so that we can get some sort of performance award. We do it because he's worthy. He's worthy. We do it because he's worthy of all of our life and all of our energy and all of our attention. You understand making disciples is what every Christian does all the time. Are you with me on that? Making disciples is what every believer is to do all the time. And we do it because we love him. We do it because it's the commission that he gave us. We do it because he desires to use us, that his name be proclaimed, that God be glorified here in the West End and where you live in this community and beyond. Together, we glorify God by obediently making mature disciples of all nations, starting right here. Isn't God good? Father, I want to thank you just for the truth of your word, for the example that we have of Paul. I thank you for his contentment, his trust in you that enabled him to be beaten and to sing in prison, that enabled him to face crowds that shouted him down, that enabled him to go to places he had not been before, to travel in ways and directions he had not been, to even change his course and his direction to, to meet the divine appointments that you had established for him because he was completely content in your direction and your provision for him. Father, I thank you for the sacred dissatisfaction that you put in him. He was always wanting to go to the next place. He was always wanting to share the gospel with the next people. He was always wanting to return and to spend more time with the people that he had seen so he could continue to teach them and grow them, so he could continue to have fellowship with them, longing for them. Father, I'm grateful for the discontentment I pray that we will both have the contentment of trusting in you and the discontentment that we are not where you intend for us to be we may be where you intend for us to be today but we're not where you intend for us to be tomorrow there is more of you to know there is more of a mission field to penetrate with the gospel father mostly what I pray is that we will continually to be filled with joy in your presence and in the lives of those by observing the lives of those that you entrust to us Father, you're worthy. You're worthy. In your name I pray. Amen.